Hello and what? Oh, I thought you wanted me. To, I thought you wanted me to lead this one. <laughs> you just blew my mind, by the way. Because from a, okay, I I wasn't actually thinking this, but I thought, uh, did I just start talking and not realize it? Because I because I had I've had those moments. We we're, le- so we're leaving often. this in, by the way. Um, yeah. Well, because it's a line, and I, I've had moments where I'm sure I've I've mentioned this where I would be acting. Uh, like, for example, uh, when I was in Lion in Winter, we rehearsed the hell out of that. And there would be times when I would just be saying lines on instinct because it becomes instinct at that point, And my mind would be elsewhere and I'd be talking. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm acting in front of people. <laughs> and I'm thinking about, like, what I'm doing in, a f- in an hour. Like, what am I? You're, you were thinking about peanut butter toast, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't I be? It's my reward for a, <laughs> it's my reward for winning best actor in the state of Missouri. But uh, okay, hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm David Bax and I'm Tyler Smith, and this is Battleship Pretension. I don't know what you. Oh, Tyler, how and are thank you? you for listening. Is what I say. Oh, by the thank way. you for listening to Battleship Pretension, Tyler. No, I don't. I don't say the word the okay. n- title twice. And thank you for listening, Tyler. Welcome to Battleship Pretension. How are you? Shut up. <laughs> Oh, the episode I, started now. I am having a grand old time. <laughs> Clearly. Um, anyway, you know what else uh, tickled me recently? Uh, what's that? Um, the Village Voice Critics Poll, which okay. is my favorite uh, best of list every year. Okay. Because it's uh, usually, you know, called from the opinions of uh, smart-ass, pretentious people like me. Yay, but not us, and that's uh, that's off-putting. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, we should. We, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure we're. They they pull 85 people. I'm sure we're 86 or 87. I, I go 87, list. probably. You know, as so, you know, as soon as uh, Scott Tobias kicks off, <laughs> we're uh, we're in there. Um, and uh, no, I, I I joke when I say it tickled me because I do not want to get accused of being a troll when it comes to Inception. Right. Uh, that's an internet term. Yeah, Tyler. Um. But, yeah, Inception was not on their top ten list. It was, however, <laughs> listed as on the critics' poll as the second worst film of 2010. Which is astounding to me. And that kind of, I hate to say it, but it kind of made me happy just that people out there agree with me that it's that it's a really, really bad film. And that's the thing. is. But that here's the, I'll, 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 okay. I'll qualify that in a bit. You say what you were going to say. Okay, so you mentioned this to me beforehand, and uh, and my response was, but there have... Because I'm not a huge fan of the film. I, don't, I certainly don't hate it as much as you do, but actually the more I think about it, the less I like it. Um, but there, I mean, it's it's still it's about midway uh, on my list. There are much worse movies that came out this year. I'm trying to see where it is on your list here. It's in between Iron Man 2 and Get Low. Okay. So, uh, but at the bottom of my list is... Hot Tub Time Machine, Robin Hood, a, night- a Nightmare on Elm oh. Street, and last is Legion. Okay, yeah. And I'm sure these are probably all worse films than Inception. Yes, they are. But the thing is, um, I, I don't think there's any problem in gra- grading on a curve a little bit. Okay. Given um, Christopher Nolan's... I don't love The Prestige, but given Memento, The Dark Knight, Batman Begins, uh, Insomnia, 
he's made a lot of gr- really good films. Yeah. And so you hold him to a higher standard. It, in fact, uh, his ambition in making Inception, and it yes. is, for all the things I dislike about it, a very ambitious film. Very much so. Um, doesn't mean that he should be cut slack for being so... Am- it's not like you just say, like, oh, maybe it wasn't perfect, but it was really ambitious, so that's... So- no, but that you should... You should judge him as 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 harshly as he not judged himself, but with the, you should judge him with the same vigor that he pushed himself to make this film. But at the same time, isn't it isn't it better in your opinion to to make an ambitious failure? And I'm not ne- and I'm not necessarily saying it's a failure, but for the sake of argument, let's say it's that to make an ambitious failure or succeed beyond your wildest dreams at making just the most unambitious film in the world. Let's say, oh, let's go Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, <laughs> although, um, which is, of course, the remake of the original, which means you're going to hit certain notes because you know it's right. expected, and doing the best version of that. No, your question is, is it better? Yeah. Absolutely, it's better. Okay. But it's better because it's riskier. Uh, the ex- The example that I used... Um, we were talking about this off mic was uh, I really, really despise Ridley Scott's Matchstick Men. Yes. Um, I don't go into the reasons why I'm sure. I've, I've probably talked about it. If not, it'll come up at some point, I'm sure. No question. Um, but the thing is, Matchstick Men is a better film any day than Sorority Boys starring... <laughs> Barry Watson, is that who's in that? Uh, yes. Harland uh, Williams. Harland Williams. And the guy from Smallville who plays Lex Luthor. Oh, Michael Rosenbaum. Yeah. Michael Rosenbaum, yes. Um, Magic Man is far and away a better film than Sorority Boys. Mm. Um, but when I think of Sorority Boys now, which I have seen, <laughs> I don't... It doesn't make me angry anymore. Right. It never made me angry. It just not, it's just not a very good film. Yeah. Matchstick Men still makes me angry when I think about it. Okay. And that's probably how I'll feel about Inception years and years from now. Yeah. Um, so, yes, it's better uh, in the scheme of things, in the moral of things or whatever. It is better to aim higher and fail than to aim yeah. low and succeed. But that's, you know, that's the risk you take. But let me ask you this. If if critics, like... Because I'll, I'll okay. say this real quick. Um the Village Voice poll does um, scores in terms of passion. So everyone uh, everyone um, submits a, te- a, a 10 best list. Mm-hmm. But the higher the movie is on the list, the more points it's awarded. Oh, okay. And that's how I feel. I'm sure they do the same thing for the worst of list. Yeah. Um, people put Inception at the top of their worst of lists, which mm-hmm. I... You know, I, I haven't seen everything yet. Still right. got about a month and a half. February twentieth, I think our best of uh, the year will come mm-hmm. out. But I doubt I'm going to see anything that's going <laughs> to that's going to that's going to going to inspire such ire mm-hmm. in me as Inception did. You don't want to inspire the ire, <laughs> no. Um, but let me ask and, you. And so that's why okay. it ends up at the top of, or in this case, it was the second after the last Airbender. Uh, also a reportedly terrible film from a promise or at least once promising director. Yeah. Um, God, I, you know, I'd, I'd hate to think that Christopher Nolan is going the way of 
M. Oh, Night Shyamalan. I, I highly doubt it. I mean, because for many people, Inception was a success. That's not what I want to get into. But let me you, ask you this: You though. know who is going the way of M. Night Shyamalan? Not you know what? Make your point. Then I'll make mine. Okay. Um, maybe make your point first because okay. mine is going to require a response. You know who's going the way of M. Night Shyamalan? Who's that? Zack Snyder. Okay. Yeah. I think. Um, both of them early on have showed showed a lot of promise, but yeah. the films made too much money early on. They were given too much freedom, and none of the people were telling them no. Mm-hmm. They still, they both still had things to learn, and they yeah. failed to learn them because they got so successful. Or at least that's, I think, what's true of him, Night Shyamalan, and that's where Zack Snyder is going. I think. Well, I think he, I think he's probably there already because he. Uh, I think both both filmmakers have an idea of what people expect from them. Yeah, and that's which shame. is. I mean, people have said about M. Night Shyamalan for years that it's like, you don't need to have the twist that you yeah. had with Sixth Sense. You don't need it. And eventually he... He dropped he, it, but still there are other bad things. But yeah. uh, And with Zack Snyder, I think there are certain... When 300 like did well and, and people were starting to use the word visionary, which I've said it before, <laughs> just, trans, just going from the comic book and translating that onto screen is not visionary. Right. It's the, one could say... The exact opposite of visionary. That's neither here nor there. Yeah, when um, you present a world that is literally unlike anything that has been presented in film before, mm-hmm. in some I- grand way or in some small way, mm-hmm. that's visionary. Vertigo is a visionary film. Yeah, I, I'd there say somebody blood. like There Will Be Blood is a visionary film. I, Apocalypse Now is a visionary film. Mm-hmm. I would venture to say that... Uh, the Fifth Element? Sure. <laughs> Blade Runner, certainly. Uh, I would venture to say early, uh, early Tim Burton... Uh, mm-hmm. Visionary, but even, I laugh, but I actually really like the Fifth Element. Yeah. Um, but let me. Okay, so that's actually a discussion for another time. I I feel like maybe an entire episode could be uh, devoted to the idea of, of being a visionary, but uh, which would be different than our our, our tour episode. Thank God. So, <laughs> uh, but let me ask you this. Okay, so you for you, Inception is the worst film of the year. Because it inspired it inspired the ire, mm-hmm. and uh, and and so you say like, well, we should judge it with the same passion that he had that Nolan had uh, in making it. But at the same time, part of me wonders like, if critics are not willing to cut somebody slack for this kind of a silly term, reaching for the stars, if we're it'd be like. Then maybe nobody, and and in fact are harsher when somebody fails to do it. May, maybe nobody will do it anymore. Like, no, isn't I think, that? A, I think the exact opposite because I think that they owe it to themselves and to the critics. Do owe it to themselves and to the community and the people who read them mm-hmm. to take these films more seriously because yeah. they're more ambitious. Inception is a film that you know for everything that I dislike about it. Yeah. Uh, is a film that needed to be seen. Yeah. It, it, Christopher Nolan has established himself yeah. as an important director of our time. Uh, he was clearly, as you say, reaching for the stars yeah. in this one. And it is a very ambitious project from a very accomplished director. Mm-hmm. It needed to be seen. It's not like something like... Uh, Robin Hood. <laughs> Robin Hood or um, you know, uh, Cirque du Freak, the vampire's assistant or whatever, oh. that... <laughs> There's no, like, you don't need to see that. Uh, no one, if no one went and saw that movie, the world would not be a different place. Congratulations on right invoking now. a film that I had completely forgotten about. And that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, critics don't need to trash Cirque du Freak. 
because yeah. it's not worthy of being taken that seriously. Yeah. It's if you hate Inception, and like we we're using Inception as the example here because of the critics poll. Yeah. But even if you hate I don't know, the social network or I don't know, what's a movie that people hate? Uh, uh Alexander. Okay. That's a, you know, a very ambitious film from an established yeah. accomplished director. Okay. Uh I don't want to head down this path. <laughs> but a film that is almost universally beloved this year that I really there's great acting in it there's no question but I really did not respond well to Yeah, you're crazy is, about this. Is the kid I'm not, hey, me, Jason and Josh, all three of us friend of the show Jason Eakin and occasional contributor Josh Long. Um all three of us did not like that film, and that's that's weird that it happened. All there was something in the air, some sort of or some sort of weird group thing took over. You clearly have the dominant personality in the room there. Really? <laughs> are you kidding me? You yeah. are joking, right? Yeah, I guess Jason would be. The yeah, there you dominant go. Personality. I think he uh, influenced you guys just by sending out his uh, Jason hate waves. I don't. <laughs> Jason hate waves. <laughs> I got to remember that term. Okay, but. Uh, but no, it's I don't want, and that's the thing. I don't want to head have, down. Have you said the name of the film yet? The kids are all right. No, okay. I said it. Yeah. Okay. Um, no. Yeah, I really don't like the kids are all right, and it might be, it might be as a f- in the same way that I don't think you saw this film, but uh, the life of David Gale, uh-huh. which is a film that is ambitious, which one could say it has that much further to fall. But I, I find myself wondering, like, should I go out of my way to, you know, bash it as you say? Uh, because that implies a certain degree of malice, so much as just like maybe not, maybe not cut at the slack, but at the very least, like I will. I'm just because you have ambition doesn't mean you made a good film. So I'm going to judge it the but, way it needs okay, to be judged. Okay, so it is about more than ambition. Malice only comes into play if it's an easy target. Okay, and I think, um, again, to bring it back to Inception as the example, and you know, because of the critics' poll and because I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not an easy target. It's not easy to sit there and point out the reasons right. that uh, I disagree with the people who love Inception. It's an argument you have to make. You have to gear up for yeah. and be ready to defend this argument. And that's that's why that's why there's no malice. Okay. Because I've given the film the respect of having seen it and having thought about it enough okay. to be confident in my opinion. Maybe it's words it's wor- like like the one you used that I just mentioned, bash. Words like bash. I think it just have such a I mean, it's it, it of course has a negative connotation, but the way in which it has a negative connotation yeah. implies that like you take a certain joy in taking it down. Yeah, which if, seems malicious. If you like, if some critic gets all puffed up and decides to take aliens in the attic for a you know, yeah, <laughs> for yeah. a uh, down to the cleaners for a walk around the park or whatever, that's malice. That's bashing. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that Philip Marlowe just walked in. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, <laughs> Aliens in the Attic doesn't doesn't need a, uh, a round of chin music. Um, <laughs> uh, well, that, yeah, that, that's bashing. That's being, and that's something you'll mean. find a lot on the internet. Certainly, is yeah, uh, people taking down yeah easy targets and such. So. And there's a, yeah, it, disliking things is an easy way to gain credibility on the internet. I should know. I dislike a lot of stuff on the internet every week. Yes, that's true. Um, but uh, okay, so I think this is. I think it's an interesting discussion to have. Is it, it requires a certain degree of self-examination. If you are somebody, if, if you listen to our show, I assume that you're somebody who loves film uh, and really, you know, you want a movie to be good, but also you want to meet the movie where it's at 
instead of where you want it to be. Because in the same, I remember somebody wrote some very nice things about more than one lesson. One thing that they that they wrote was that I was I was willing to judge Christian film against what film should be, not what Christian film should be. Right. And I feel like so just meeting it where it's at and and trying to acknowledge well, okay, you've got huge goals. Good for you. You're going to have to. It's going to take a lot to achieve it, and I'm sorry you didn't. You mm-hmm. know, and it's frustrating the way in which you didn't. Because but to cut case, you slack for being ambitious would be disrespectful. Yeah, that's my, that's my point of view. I think that's a good, that's a, a good way to see it because uh, it would be doing them a disservice. Um, because if somebody, because maybe they will do better next time. Um, yeah, it's uh, huh. It's an, it's it's a discussion worth having, and and something that I think for myself I need to revisit from time to time. Um, because yeah, Legion is my, you know what it's like years ago, there was a movie that you really liked that I hated. Not, not that you really liked, but that you liked. Torque? Huh? Torque? I didn't see Torque. Oh. But it's a film that critics I, liked. I like that it's been a bit of a Torque resurgence. Like people have started <laughs> to like realize that Torque was awesome. And we talk about it a lot. I think it has to do with us. Yeah, um, I think we planted the seed. Uh, a film called Game Six. Oh yeah, I like that, I like that movie a lot. Which you liked a lot. And that was my least favorite movie of that year. I don't necessarily think it was the worst movie of that year. There were much worse, much more forgettable films than that. Well, I but think Game Six. Another great example: Game Six, Game Six, Inception. Uh, a movie that I hate, uh, Synecdoche, New York. Which I uh, movie I love. Yeah, yeah. That, I think that's a great example. It's um, I don't hate it because it's poorly made or lazy or hacky or you know, yeah. you know uh, anything like that. I just yeah. uh, I hate it. I hate it to its core, but very respectfully. And I think, and I, I like to think that's how you feel about Game Six. Well, you also, have some respect for it. I have some respect for it. Certainly, a lot of the performances and 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 some of its goals. But I think a lot of it comes down to the frustration in knowing how, or not necessarily knowing because that that might be a little pompous, but having an opinion on how it could have better achieved those goals. You know, with Inception, you said like your problem was not the goals that it had, but the fact that it was unwilling to carry out those goals the way it should or given the fact that it's the way it should. right because it's a dream world that seems surprisingly like just our world and when was the last time you had a dream that was as literal literal i was going to say conventional but right. as literal as that um you know it's a funny thing i might not have seen games i would have maybe seen it eventually but if you hadn't told me yeah on the phone you hadn't even moved out here yet. we were having a phone conversation yeah um we never do that do that anymore uh you don't call me. Oh no, yes. you do call me. I call me. you all the time. Yeah, you called you me eight answered. times today, but I was just, I slept till two forty five. Um, and I, I had heard of the film Game Six. Yeah, and it sounded a little intriguing to me. And then you hated it so much that I was like, "All right, now I got to see it. This sounds yeah. at least worth seeing." And then I ended up loving it. Probably in spite uh, to, to spite me, right? I'm sure that's how you see it. Like the kids are all right. Just movies that obviously there's not much to, and it's just like, oh, we screw, all got to screw go. that guy. We. Me and everyone else who talks about film professionally or as a hobby got together and said, let's all pretend to really like the kids are all right. I don't remember who on The Onion listed as the most overrated film of the year, but somebody did. Yeah. So I at least have somebody. <laughs> but uh, all right. Well, we've been going for uh, a while, David. But yeah, so this is a fun academic discussion. So um, let's have another one. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, yes. So uh, let's get into it, shall we? <laughs> You're mumbly, well, David, is what I'm saying. 
I think I'm less mumbly than I was four years ago when we That's started true. this. It's been almost four years. I know. We're just a couple months shy of yeah. four years. In March, I think, it'll be four years. Yeah, this uh, this month marks the four-year anniversary of our coming out to uh, Los Angeles, which is insane to think. By so. our, you mean you and Jenny. Indeed, yes. I'm I sorry. had already been out here for some, some time. So uh, I'm going to start by telling a story. Oh, please do. I'm going to sit back and... I'm going to put the mic down. Well, you're and just... a character in the story. Oh. Pro- probably even the main character. Oh, shoot. Hang on. Is this going to make me look bad? I don't think so. But it's going to illustrate the fact that you are a film fan first and a TV fan second. That's true. Um, and I don't even know if that's the right way of saying it. I think, I think you are a film fan who, for the most part, or maybe things have changed in the past couple of years, mm-hmm. but for the most part, you watch television like a film fan. Um, or at least you did two and a half years ago when this story takes place. Okay. Uh, I feel like this is gonna this story's going to end with me mad at you. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I don't mean it that way. Uh, well, well, we'll see how it goes. Um, you were over at my old apartment. Okay. Uh, we were hanging out, and then I was going to... There was a, a few um, Sopranos episodes available on, on HBO On Demand. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, uh, there was one I wanted to watch. Uh, let's say it was a late season two episode, okay. Bust Out. Let's say it was Bust Out. I don't okay. remember exactly when it was. Um, and I was like, oh, you want to watch this episode? And you were like, almost flabbergasted. You were like, no, I can't just sit down and watch some episode of The Sopranos. Yeah. Because to you. Unless it is The Pine Barrens. <laughs> okay. Um, I can see that. But there are other standalone episodes. Yeah. Um, and The Pine Barrens isn't entirely standalone. No, anyway. Well, none of them are, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you can mostly watch Kennedy and Heidi. Anyway, that's not the okay. Point. Yeah, you can mostly watch any of these. Is the thing that I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to you, I think The Sopranos is like a novel, like a six or seven season long novel. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the way, right or wrong. There's for a long time, and I used to be one of these people back in high school. There was a snobbery. Mm-hmm. Film is good. TV is lowbrow. Yeah. Common. Yeah. And I think that the resurgence of television over the past uh over the past decade really I mean Sopranos really sort of marks the uh the beginning of it. I go uh, I'd say in the last f- last 15 years like there are there are some shows that but like, there were always good shows. I know but like shows like Simpsons and Seinfeld literally changed how sitcoms and certainly animated shows were made okay. and then as it happens, I'm watching a lot of the Larry Sanders show right now. Yeah, but and so here's the thing: shows like Simpsons, Seinfeld, Larry Sanders, Twin Peaks—they're great yeah. shows for their time. But um, I mean, it's funny to think, but Seinfeld has not been nearly as influential a show as it should have been. And that's mostly that's because the network executives have been fighting against anything. That tries to operate the way Seinfeld did. You don't think ever it's been that the, influential in the way that characters talk to each other on shows? Yes, but uh, there's some absurdist stuff that I think has has been embraced by shows like Arrested Development and Thirty Rock that I think the later episodes of Seinfeld uh, established. Okay, maybe you're right. Yeah, but, that's, but I will I will agree with you well, that Sopranos, Sopranos is, really ushered in the new golden. Yeah, I'm not saying there was anything. There was nothing good before Sopranos. But right. I mean, you can. Almost divide television into before and after Sopranos. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's the kind of thing that li- literally pretty much any serialized television show 
after the Sopranos is in some way influenced by it. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure where I have this started. Sorry. Um, oh, yeah. Here's what I was saying. Over the past 10 years or so, um, as television has grown more respe- respectful, uh, film Respectable, fan- you mean. Yeah, respectful is what I meant. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, film fans have migrated toward it, but they still brought their preconceptions on how to watch filmed art, filmed entertainment, mm-hmm. from film to television. Okay. And television is a format that developed, I mean, certainly it has a lot of in common in terms of technology and stuff, mm-hmm. but in the, the way that stories are told on television, it had developed alongside film for decades before mm-hmm. that. It is its own thing. Yes. And the thing is, a show like The Sopranos, um, though in ways you could, you could view some of it as novelistic, maybe season to season, but really it is, it's more conventional than people realize because The Sopranos is large stories made up of smaller stories. Yeah. Which is, I think, the way that television, good television, has always been. And I think it's because film fans are used to watching just one big story over two hours or so. Yeah. Um, for the most part, obviously, there's exa- there's you know exceptions to that. Uh, that's the way they want to watch. That want to watch TV. They, you know, they mm-hmm. want to buy the entire series of The Wire. You know. Yes. Um. And, you know, The Wire is um, definitely one of the most novelistic shows yep. there's ever been. Um, and then there's shows like Dexter, which are very novelistic season to season, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but at, at the end, of the, I, I tell the story of you not being, like, not being able to wrap your head around the idea of just watching Bust Out. Yeah. Um, as, as an example of the way that film fans, though they've embraced and respected tv mm-hmm. still a lot of them still don't know how to watch it but at the same time okay so here's okay so we're gonna have a, a an episode where we disagree that's fine okay um probably not actually but in my own defense well, I, I probably can disagree you can disagree with me all you want because when it comes to tv i feel like i've got more of a leg to stand on damn <laughs> okay i'm gonna start my tv podcast and then we're on even ground so uh, <laughs> I don't think it's just the fact that I have a TV podcast. I think I watch way more TV than you do. That's true. That's true. Which, which, uh, <laughs> maybe. So I, I feel like maybe the kids are all right is bad. <laughs> maybe yeah. Maybe you have more of an idea. All right. When it comes to film. I'll take what I can get. So, uh, but in my in but my I mean, have you seen Lisa Chilidenko's episodes of The L Word? <laughs> uh, she no. has is that, she is has that, directed. That is that show good? No. Okay. Um, it's also not on anymore, but it wasn't good. Huh. I didn't know she directed TV. Is that is that where she started? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think you'll find a lot of directors who maybe don't, um, like, sort of uh, either art film directors like um, like Lisa Chilodenko or um, what's the guy's name who did Chuck and Buck uh, and The Good Girl? Miguel Alvarez? Oh, hell, I don't remember. Is that his name? Um, and even people like uh, John Dahl, who would do like yeah. genre films from time to time, you see them show up on TV more and more these days. Yeah, yeah, because they're yeah. The lines are certainly blurred from a yeah. technical standpoint. John Dahl these has days. done lots of episodes of Dexter, actually. Oh, nice. He'd be good for that, even though I've not seen a single episode of Dexter. Anyway, um, in my defense, uh, part of me is is just 
especially, I, I wonder if my attitude would have been that had I not already seen The Sopranos. You know what I mean? And wanting to be like, oh, I want to be able to appreciate this the way I, not merely as a film fan, but also the kind of film fan that I certainly was at the time, which is character, motivations, that sort of thing. Like, I would know, I would know like, oh, I know where this is going to go, but I may not remember how we got there. And that, to me, would be imperative in appreciating it from a character standpoint, especially if it's in the middle of a season. Like if you said, let's watch the beginning of season two or something, I think I might be more inclined to do so. But literally, literally being in the, uh, an episode in the middle of a season, I just, it, it, see, it, it is very counterintuitive to me, certainly at the time. But you have to understand these, uh, season, these episodes, episode to episode are written and directed by different people. They are their own thing. Right. You know, it's not, you know, the exception of the first four seasons of The West Wing, in which everyone was written by Aaron Sorkin. Um, there's different stories that are told. And obviously some shows are, like The Sopranos of the Wire, mm. are are more serialized. Mm. And then shows like The Good Wife, which I'm watching now, or Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, or even The X-Files, mm. um, have large, you know, meta arcs. Yeah. Uh, but are really case of the week type shows. But let me uh let me ask you this. But, but it's I'm just saying it's a matter of degrees. It's I don't think there's a strict difference between the wire and the good wife. It's when the oh, they're both television formats. Well, first off, I I will totally say that okay. Format. Sorry. In my English class, uh freshman year, there was a game we used to play which was uh somebody writes like the first I forget if it was sentence or paragraph of a story. They pass it on, uh-huh. the person reads that, and then they write their paragraph. They pass it on, the person writes that, and then, of course, the story changes, and uh, it's really fun and interesting. TV is not written like that. They have, uh, would you say, cer- certainly The Sopranos is not written like that. There are certain beats that are probably going that... Yeah, that's why you have a showrunner. Right. You know, J- Joss Whedon, uh, you know, wrote... Relatively few episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right. but he was. It's uh, got his stamp all over it, and he was uh, very good at not. They wouldn't even start writing the first episode of a season until he knew where the season was going. He yeah. would season to season, he would plan the whole thing out, and obviously there'd be room for variation in there, but the main points would be done. Yeah. And David Milch, very much the same, same way, mm-hmm. maybe even more so. I don't know. Anyway, but to me, that's the thing: is that like. The episodes, yes, they might have been directed by someone different. They might have been written by somebody different. But they were all working towards a common goal with the understanding that this episode needs to accomplish this in the context of the larger season and the larger series. Yes, that's part of it. But also there are smaller stories like Deadwood Season 1. There's the um, uh, typhoid coming to the camp is a self-contained story that happens in the episode Plague. Mm. Uh, And that's... Because in addition to, yes, he's telling, David Milch is telling this grand story about uh, the way that civilization forms where there is none. Right. But also, he's just developed a world, and why not tell, why not find little fun stories to tell Mm -hmm. in the middle of it? You know, like uh, Tom Nuttall getting the new bicycle, or, you know, um, the other thing that happens in that episode, I don't want to spoil anything. Right. and and that's what TV can do, is create a world, a sort of 
boundaries. Like, you can do anything you want with these characters that we've established, and let's let's see what we can do with them. And that's that's kind of what's fun about let one me, of the things that's fun about television. Let me put this to you though, real quick. So we've been on uh, the Paul Goebel show countless times, uh, and for the last. Uh, I'd say two years we've been on to talk about Lost. We did that three years in a row. Was it three years in a row? Yeah. Oh, boy. Seasons four, five, and six. The We've become sort of a tradition over there. Yeah. Lost is over now, but we're always there for the worst and best of uh, the year. Yeah. It's very exciting. Anyway, uh, but on those Lost episodes, a uh, friend of the show, Jim Bruce, always talked about how he would <laughs> he would watch one episode, like one or two episodes per season, uh, and I don't remember if that was like something he was consciously doing or more just like, hey, let's see how this works out. And he always enjoyed it. Of course, he had no idea what was going on, but he always enjoyed it. Uh, and I, and of course, that flabbergasted me. And I find myself wondering. But and Lost I'm not, is I'm almost not, a perfect example of my point. What was that? Lost is almost a perfect example of my point mm-hmm. because uh, it very clearly delineate, delineates. Yes, we're telling a large story, but. Uh, each week, with a few exceptions, mm-hmm. each week we will tell a small self-contained story that takes place off the island in a flashback or a flash forward or flash sideways yes. or whatever, and we will use that to comment on the major story. That's the yeah. thing that things like The Good Wife, which I'm watching now, mm-hmm. or Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a perfect example, where the one week they'd be fighting some monster that has nothing to do with the narrative arc, mm-hmm. but whatever happens with the fight on the monster and the case with the monster directly reflects or comments on or brings out something yeah. that's happening in the larger story. And Lost was perfect at that. And, and, and Oh, no, so, Lost, But yeah. there's no reason you can't watch, um, uh, you know, Dave, the Dave episode. That's That one's almost entirely self-contained. I'm trying to think of one that's more more split. Okay. But, um, you know, if you watch... Uh, got Cabin Fever is the one that, um, that Jim Bruce hilariously recounted <laughs> magic cabin that's yeah <laughs> um but that's also a hurley episode mm-hmm. that you could just watch that and get the hurley parts i'm not using i'm not necessarily using lost as a as an example but it it uh, in fact i do have lost uh on my list here uh for another reason but i'll, I'll get to that in a minute um but i think what's what's tra- like here's here's the thing and i'm not trying to approach this in a gotcha kind of thing but we are all we are discussing shows that you have seen in their in almost their entirety okay if i were to show if i were to throw episode 8 of try you've you've seen i think all of the shows that i've seen. kings <laughs> let's go with kings uh-huh. okay a show that admittedly didn't last very long so i mean uh, even that doesn't work because it's only one season so let's i can't it's the it's all i can think of anyway <laughs> so let's say i threw through uh, episode eight of Kings at you. You haven't seen it. You haven't seen a single episode of it. Uh-huh. That and it is, and it does fit into what we're talking about with television, where each episode has its own arc and it plays a larger role um, in in the season itself. Like, would you? I mean, you'd have an appreciation for it from almost an academic standpoint, but you're not going to. Wouldn't you find it even slightly frustrating that, like, I don't know who Brian Cox is? No. I don't know what relation he has to these people. I don't think I would, people. because if you told me, I mean, if you put up episode eight as an example of, okay, this is the best, or this is some of the best stuff the show ever did. And what if I didn't? <laughs> well, why would I'm, I watch it? I'm provide. here's the thing, me saying this is the best they can do, that's me providing a context for you. 
if I'm talking about completely contextless, um, okay. would it be as satisfying? If I said this is the worst it has to it has to offer, or the best okay. it has to offer, it won't be as satisfying as seeing all of it. But okay. what I'm saying is, it won't be completely unsatisfying. I mean, no, that's, that's yeah, yeah. It's how I the way the way I came to decide to watch The Good Wife, mm-hmm. which I'm watching right now. That's why I keep bringing up. Is it good? Is it good? It's really good. Okay. Um, is that occasionally they would have like I'd find out like some amazing guest star. Mm-hmm. Like the first one I watched uh, had Dylan Baker on it. Oh, I like it. And him. I was like, oh, I sh- that sounds cool. I should watch that. Kings. Oh, is he? He's in Kings uh, throughout, yes. Um, and so occasionally that would happen. If you watch, man, season one of The the Good Wife has, not only does it have a great cast, you know, the regular cast in the show, right. but people like Dylan Baker, David Paymer, hey. uh, Titus Welliver, ah. all these people just like come and go in the show. Um, it's just a great cast on that show. Mm-hmm. Great, great guest stars. Um, in his current second season, the, uh, what's his name? Scott Porter, who played uh, BJ Street on... On Friday Night Lights. BJ Street? I thought it was J- Jason, Jason Street. Street. Who's yes. BJ Street? I don't know. Oh. Okay. Never mind. Oh, okay. You know what I did there? What'd you do? Uh, his The actor's name is Porter, and I was thinking of BJ Porter, the... Uh, the comedian? Yeah, the comedian. That's very... That's, there's a lot of layers to that. And I I'm know, like, but I just... I yeah. said Porter and uh, BJ popped into my head. So everybody go learn about BJ Porter. Yeah, he's a good guy. I've never met him. I've met him. Nice guy. <laughs> anyway, um, so what? Yeah, but I, I think I could enjoy an episode of Kings. Obviously, mm-hmm. I wouldn't get everything there is to be gotten out of it. Mm. But I could still tell you whether or not it's a good show based on, uh, based on that episode. And I think that's the. That's a little bit too much, but yeah, that might be too much, especially because of my frustration with The Walking Dead. Um, but uh. And I think that that is is the point that I'm making, and certainly from that story years ago, is that because especially because I had seen The Sopranos and and I knew how good everything could be in its entirety, I didn't want the even I didn't even want ten percent satisfaction taken away. I wanted it to be in context and and the whole thing. And that might be a movie way of of approaching it, but like especially since you've already seen it, like yeah, no I know. You can't, Bust Out is the one where they uh, uh, run uh, what's it uh, the T1000's store dry. I, <laughs> what is his name? Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick. Admittedly, yeah. his name is rather bland, but <laughs> the character's name is David Scatino. I know that. But okay. I didn't know that you'd remember if I said David Scatino who the who that was. Right. No. I. Rem- but thank you for saying T1000. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure he loves that. You could also say the dad from Bridge to Terabithia. Right, the, or the, the football line. coach from the faculty. Oh yeah, the guy who replaced Mulder on X Files for a couple seasons. And I watched. And you know what? Here's uh, X Files. Uh, I I remember uh, watching. And those episodes are very self-contained. They're like House or Law and Order, but they are sometimes they're a part of the larger thing. But um, but I remember watching an episode of uh, of the Robert Patrick uh, section of the show, and I remember really liking him. I like what oh, I, he's a good actor. He's a good actor, but also a lot of people were like, "Oh, he's no Fox Mulder." Uh, yeah, he's not trying to be. They actually brought in somebody who's almost like, uh, you know, Joe Friday, right? Uh, somebody who's probably a much more run-of-the-mill government agent mm-hmm. to work for this government agency, and I and and watching him be the the skeptic and Scully be the 
you know, the, the wide eyes, the believer. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. But anyway, um, so, uh, so is this the primary, uh, discussion you wanted to have or did you want to, uh, branch off into other things? Uh, well, the other thing, I'll tell another story. Is this about me? No. Okay. Um, you were there, but this is not about you. All right. What Um, was I doing? You were sitting next to me. We were we were uh, guests on the Slash Filmcast. Oh, indeed, yes. I think this is the, when we uh, had, had reviewed The Road. Okay. And we stayed for the uh, Slash Film After Dark. Yeah. Uh, which is, as a guest, admittedly my favorite part. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. I, 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 I really enjoy the, the... It's like this show. I, I enjoy the free discussion. <laughs> That's free true, yeah. Free discussion. Um, but they had played some listener feedback. Okay. And... Um, one guy had called in to talk about how how much he likes Glee, but um, he can't. I can't remember. He can't watch it on TV without either TiVo or having it on iTunes or whatever, because he can't stand the the commercial. Oh, that's right. I he remember was that saying discussion. that it ended on some very like there was some very emotional like cliffhanger, and then all of a sudden he's got to sit through four minutes uh, four minutes of commercial. I remember this discussion. Yes. Um, and again, that's a very movieish way. Of looking at it because, like I said, television, network television, obviously we've talked a lot about uh, premium shows that yeah. don't have commercials and that's a different thing that's developed on its own. Yeah. But network television developed alongside film for decades, as I said, and one thing that it had to work in was the commercial break. Yeah. And uh, the, act, the act structure right. of a single episode of television... Um, is an established thing, and and it's a part of watching the watching the episode. And I, again, like it's sort of a more micro way of what we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of film film fans want to see a whole season at once, yeah, and think of it as a whole season at once. Yeah, they also want to see an episode as one whole thing, which yeah. it is. But it is also four different pieces of the thing, and the acts have their own. Their their own high and low points to them, and 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 unfold in a certain way for a certain reason. Yeah, there's a and you're, like it's a it's a combination of of approaching it like a film fan, but also in the midst of TV shows being on DVD, and so you don't have to watch the commercials. But also, so many television shows not incorporating an act break. Uh, for example, although oddly enough, even. Um, I mentioned The Walking Dead a moment ago. The Walking Dead had commercials. But the episodes were shot as if they were on HBO. Now that was very frustrating. Oh, okay. Because because it literally was then then it was just the commercials were just shoved in there at a a time where it's like, okay, well this would probably be where a good break would right. be. If you were watching still, the movie at home this is and you had to go to the bathroom, this is probably yeah. about where you'd pause it. Yeah, it that's yeah, exactly. Whereas Something like Glee, having not seen it, but any any of these shows, yeah, it's not like the network has sprung the idea of commercials on them. Yeah, the act they, structure is not new; it's nothing new, and it's something that, when writing it, they were anticipating. They were anticipating this being a dramatic or a comedic peak, and then stopping for a commercial. Yeah, and so yeah, that uh, and I remember uh, mentioning that on on the Slash Filmcast that it's just it's you know. It seems like more frequently than I like, uh, I find myself 
not necessarily railing against technology because technology is awesome, but <laughs> railing against the way that it has affected people. Like I talk about people talk in movie theaters for various and check their phones in, in movie theaters because technology has basically made it seem as if we are the most important, you know, a, an individual person Thanks, is the most Aaron important. Sorkin. I already saw the social network. What is that? That's, I haven't seen it in a while. Is that a big theme of it? Uh, I don't think it's uh, explicit, but that's what I took away from it. Oh, okay. Um, well, I think he's right. Anyway, uh, but also just the idea of, of watching a show on DVD, as much as I love doing that, uh, I think watching it without uh, commercials, it uh, it has kind of, for lack of a better term, spoiled some people for when they actually watch something on television, which, in theory is the way it was meant to be watched. Yeah. Also, uh, I would say this, okay, uh, House, the show House, which I, uh, I I haven't watched it in a while, but I remember really liking it at the time. Uh, but I would watch it, I watched it on DVD. And the act breaks, of course, didn't bother me, partially because I wasn't watching the commercials, but you start to get, the, the formula of the show becomes almost eye-rolling. I mean, people have joked about the formula of House, and it's yeah. definitely a formulaic show. But at the same time, if, if you were to watch it the way television is supposed to be watched, which is you watch one per week, uh-huh. then you get a whole week's worth of experiences in between shows. <laughs> if you watch them on DVD, one right after another, then after a while it's like, yeah, I get it. It's like... Right. You're not supposed to watch it like that. Here's the part where something that someone said offhand that has nothing to do with this yeah. makes him think of the thing that's going to lead him to solving the case. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, I've seen a couple episodes of House. Yeah, I mean, they're very much like that. And it's just... But in that in that instance, watching it not in the television way, uh-huh. watch it, just having the next episode at the ready and the next one and the next one, uh, actually in, in many ways sort of ruins the experience of the show. There are some television shows that are meant to be seen the way television was always always used to be seen. Yeah. Although like on, I've said I've only seen a couple of episodes of House, but I would definitely say CSI is one of those. Yeah. Law and Order, CSI, House, any oh, of those man, Law and Order is a perfectly formulaic show. Yeah. Like here's the teaser where they find the body. Yeah. And then at the end of this act break they'll be in they'll be interrogating the red herring and yeah. then at the end of this one, it'll go to the courts. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and it's and I I love Law and Order, and and thankfully, I mean, because I enjoy char- the works the work of character actors and such is that, uh, you know, I I at least can, I could watch several episodes of Law and Order, and see like, oh hey, look at that, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is in this episode, and uh, <laughs> Bill, Stephen Colbert uh, is Steve, in this episode. Is Stephen Colbert in the yeah. on Law and Order at some point? Yeah, that's weird. Like I think at a point when he was Stephen Colbert, like as would, himself or as a character. No, but I mean like oh, people, okay. people knew that who Stephen Colbert was when he was on. Yeah, they would it's do re- these things as like uh, at uh, the same time, like gimmicks he, or whatever. There are certain comedians that you and I knew as comedians before they really broke, but at the time they were still just getting whatever work they could. So it's weird seeing like Jim Gaffigan, <laughs> right, right, as Tom like Barry. as like the worst kind of perpetrator on Law <laughs> right. and Order. And you're like, that's the guy that talks about Hot Pockets. <laughs> um, but his performance is very good. It has nothing to do with uh, him not, not playing the part well. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it is, it's frustrating that, that uh, shows being on DVD just 
they allow people to have total control over how they view something, which is which can be great when it comes to something like, for me, like The Wire or Deadwood, where, it, I mean, the story is very dense, and you you absolutely want to see what happens, um, and really the only breaks you get are are between seasons, mm-hmm. as far as content and and stories, um, but. Uh, I don't know. It's it. It is kind of. It, it's just a shame that. So, that, watching television, whether it be online or on DVD, has changed the way right. it always used to be. But yeah. I, I realize I sound kind of old and crotchety when I say that. Yeah, but I mean, there's, again, even when you watch something on a TV show on DVD, you can tell where the act, act breaks were. It usually fades right. to black or whatever. Uh, so they're st- they're still writing, in that style, and you're still. Yeah, seeing them in that style. Yeah, so it isn't. It hasn't completely gone away, but it has. I don't think it's the technology. I mean, you blame the technology. Me, I blame the fact that more people who ten, fifteen years ago wouldn't have been caught dead watching a network television show. Yeah, are now migrating towards them, but bringing their their film uh, preconceptions with them. Well, at the same time, it's not as though TV has completely retained its its structure i mean most people have said about it often gets said about hbo shows like deadwood the wire sopranos band of brothers where they say oh it's like a movie and it, it i think a lot of film sensibility sensibilities have seeped into television as far as it might just be as a fun uh, as far as like a budget or yeah standards sopranos or whatever. Is definitely very filmic in terms of aesthetic yeah. and the fact that it was in widescreen yeah, you know, um, so I think people, to a certain extent, I, I think that they can be excused for approaching it like film because, as because for a long time, as you mentioned, film was highbrow to an extent, uh, and well, it would. Uh, and TV was lowbrow. I'm paraphrasing here, and I don't know who. Okay, uh, but. Um, Basically, films try to attract a certain audience, uh, all like all of a certain audience. Yeah. Television tries to attract the largest audience possible. Yeah. So there used to be an adage that um, go- a good television show will never be as good as the best movie, but a bad television show will never be as wor- as, as bad as the worst movie. Hmm. Did I say that right? A good okay. television show will never be as good as the best movie. A bad television show will never be as bad as the worst movie. That's the way that things... Uh, that, that's an adage that used to exist. Okay. But I find with the... the You know, there's still the main networks, but mm-hmm. more and more people watch TV on basic cable and premium cable. Yeah. Um, there are so many more options that things can aim for a niche Yeah. now. Yeah, and it's... Uh, and it, Okay, so I wanted to bring up real quick uh, a show like Lost... Okay, and that will that will spiral me into other things because uh, the idea of of bringing uh, a movie a film viewing mentality to television is that as you said, movies are two hours, three at the most, whereas a show like Lost is I don't know how many hours specifically, but the but it's lit- I mean if somebody watches it on television. It's years of their lives. And so a show like Lost, which had a lot of mysteries to it, and I would say Twin Peaks before it, which 
self I th- in many in some cases self-destructed because I think people were unwilling to go with it have it just be a five season mystery where they never find this thing out. I mean, they need some, they felt it, like they need some sort of David catharsis. Lynch and Mark Frost have specifically said that the original plan for Twin Peaks was that you never ever However long it ran, you were never going to find out who killed Laura Palmer. And to me, that sounds invigorating. Yeah. Like that sounds great. Um, but that's the thing: is it's just you you can't do that. I mean, I think you can, and I think it can still be successful. But as Twin Peaks showed us, people eventually demand answers, especially yeah. if there's only one question. Lost is different because there was a lot of questions that developed over time, uh, and so. And of course, once once the question was answered with Twin Peaks, everyone realized, "Oh shoot! I guess I didn't want this answer because now I have no reason to stick around." <laughs> I'm stuck in this town, all these weirdos. <laughs> I was much more interested when any of them could have been a suspect. Um, but uh, but yeah, so with Lost, it's they kept the mystery going, and that can be really great. And then when you add new mysteries and you solve maybe one mystery here and add two or whatever. That's fine, except I find myself wondering... I mean, I liked the Lost finale, and I know you did too. Um, but a lot of people are angry about it. A lot of people are disappointed in it. And part did of me you wonders, know okay. that some people are disappointed in the end of the, of the Sopranos as well? You're shitting me. I know. I know. Next thing you're <laughs> going to be telling me, people didn't like Seinfeld. <laughs> um, but that's... and Okay, you mentioned the Sopranos. I mentioned Seinfeld. I mean, when is the last time a a very popular show like I would say the I would say the Wire, except the Wire had an audience, but it was not a very popular show. And there are even people in the audience who don't love that last season because the, the last, last season se- of Wire di- of the Wire did more than other seasons become uh, a, a a TV show. In some yeah, way, I, mean, it, it did. I don't want to give anything away by away by the story, but the the McNulty, yes, the McNulty, not all of us have right, yeah. But the McNulty, the main McNulty storyline in season five of The Wire, yeah, is kind of TV showish. It is. It seems like something out of you're like what, what, and and it only seems like that because of what the show had spent four seasons setting us up right. and, and the world that it had created. But um, and I'm not even talking about the last season. I mean. Within season five, the last episode was, well, the last episode of the series was great, yeah. I think. Um, and it felt like just a nice a nice finale. Whereas, but again, that had a specific audience. I mean, like a broadly popular show that everybody gets behind, whether it be Seinfeld or Lost or The Sopranos. And I realize The Sopranos would only have a certain type of audience because it's HBO or a certain uh, size audience. But... I mean, when pe- when that many people are committing years of their lives to this thing, I-, I I find myself wondering if the finale could ever be satisfying to most people. Because in the case of Lost, I liked it because for me the show was always ever uh, was always about the characters, and the finale wound up being. I'm not saying it confirmed that I was right, but I think the finale said it wasn't about the characters or the answers; it was about the ideas. Maybe, yeah, and the, which is which is fine with me, but I can understand how it'd be very frustrating. It was about the idea. Here's it. It wasn't about the mysteries. It was about the ideas, and it wasn't necessarily about these characters so much as the relationships. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can see that. So I'd say for for 
for both people, it wound up not being quite about it's, what we thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's definitely not about the mysteries, though. That, that, right. That was made pretty clear yeah. by the end. And I, I, I can't defend the show entirely. Yeah. They're, they definitely set up a certain expectation. Yeah. Um, I think I caught on earlier than some people that it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't excuse the show. So I love Lost, but there there's some problems. But imagine that Lo- imagine if Lost was like a 10 episode mini series and it had that finale. Like Persons Unknown. Sure, I've heard it's terrible, <laughs> yeah, but me too. but let's imagine the the quality was the same, but it was a 10 episode mini series and it had that exact same finale. I feel like people would be less upset with it because they hadn't because they hadn't invested right. the time. And I think that's the problem. That that is when people much like if a movie is super long, and then has kind of a crappy ending, or an, or I, mean, I remember when I saw Castaway. It's not a long movie, but it's over two hours, right? Uh-huh. And it has, at the, I think the ending is very satisfying, but it's open ended. It's a bit ambiguous. 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 It's a bit ambiguous. <laughs> you all right there? Yeah. So, uh, but I remember when I saw it, uh, the minute it, you know, got that smash cut to black, a person right behind me goes, "What kind of ending was that?" And I was just like. Ah, but at the same time, the the stakes. I remember walking out of, uh, not walking out of Castaway. I watched yeah. the whole thing, but Indeed. leaving the theater and hearing hearing someone say, "There's two hours. I'm not getting back." Right, and that's and that's the thing is that phrasing. That's time out of my life. I'm not getting back. They didn't mention the money. Right. They mentioned the time, and I'm sure somewhere, if I don't, I bet we wouldn't have to look very hard to find online someone saying about Lost. There's six years of my life. I'm not getting back. Right. You know, it's. And that's that's one of the potential problems with television is that the more intriguing your show is, and the more people are in, more time people are investing, the higher the expectation is. But, yeah, but that's another way to bring it back to the main topic of the episode of the of this episode. Mm-hmm. Another way that TV is different than movies because yeah. this this is a discussion we had on my other podcast previously on about this most recent season of In Treatment mm-hmm. where. One of the story, I, you know, no spoilers, but one of the storylines, the one that had been my favorite all season, ended in a way that I found really unsatisfying and kind of angered me. Um, but the what we what Sean and I talked about in the show is that doesn't mean those previous eight episodes that I just watched or that I watched that I loved right are bad now. Yeah, there's those are still really good episodes of television, and that's another thing that's that's different. I don't I don't think that if I um, if I watch a movie like The Fighter, which I recently saw, yeah, which you know conversely has a great ending, but has a lot yeah. of things about it during the middle that I don't, I I don't like. Mm-hmm. I have to take both into consideration when thinking about the whole thing because that's what a movie is. Mm-hmm. A TV show is a series of episodes, and episodes can be great even if yeah the ending is not. And it and it makes me wonder. And episodes if, can be bad even if the ending is great. You know, I think the best series finale of all time is the final episode of Angel called "Not Fade Away." Okay, doesn't mean there aren't some terrible episodes of Angel because there right. are. And it makes me wonder. And let let me know what you think of this. And uh, it makes me wonder if you have immersed yourself so much in television that you now approach movies the way you do television, where. Because for some people, and I remember, I remember the various screenwriting classes that I that I took. They there is so much. I mean, they they put emphasis on a lot of things like motivations and stakes and all that sort of thing. But they said as long as your third act 
is solid and you have payoffs in not in everything but in major areas then your film will be satisfying and i know that there are plenty of movies that i've watched and it's like this movie's only okay but then the ending is surprisingly good and because that's the note it, it goes out on and it only is 2 hours of my life all of a sudden as i said uh, a couple episodes about uh, a couple episodes ago um a movie is about how it ends really yeah which i i disagree with i think it's about the whole thing I think thematically it's about how it ends, but um, but at the same time, like it's just that is the that is the note that the filmmakers want you to to walk out thinking, um, and so. But I feel like saying that it's about how it, or as long as it ends okay, it'll be satisfying, is not not thinking very much of your audience. Like, are they really going to forget what happened twenty five minutes ago? They can. I mean, it's. I, but that's. I think that's. That's kind of mean. As long, I, here's the thing. Not necessarily a tacked on, not even a happy ending, but a tacked on good ending. Like, as long as it's like, ah, this wasn't very good, but it did earn that good ending. Mm-hmm. Then I think that's that's different than just like, hey, this part's good, this part isn't. You know, this part is not great, but it it transitioned nicely into a What I'm saying, the difference between, it's still, I still watch film and TV differently because... Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's a movie like The Fighter that has good parts and bad parts, I take them all into consideration mm-hmm. in judging the one thing. Right. Whereas the TV show, I'm more considered that like a bad part. You know, you got a bag mm-hmm. of Fritos and one's like all like burnt or something. You could just throw it away. It doesn't mean the rest of the Fritos are bad. You know, this is why people tune into the the show. The analogies, <laughs> they're just so they've got it all worked out. Um, but I will I think that's. No, it's Something very good. That some no. People can relate to the idea of having a bag of Fritos. One's like weirdly burnt or, or gross. One could say one bad apple doesn't ruin <laughs> the whole barrel. But you go bag of Fritos. It's fine. Yeah, because I live. In, I grew up in the 20th century when people don't have barrels of apples sitting around the house. They have bags of Fritos. <laughs> if you look hard, you'll. I don't think you'll find any bags of Fritos in this house. Nor in mine. I do have two barrels of apples, though, is the problem. Um, <laughs> I've never seen those. <laughs> it's right over there. So, um, but in here, and here's the thing. For example, uh, you mentioned the fighter, that you you really liked the ending, but that leading up to that, it's like, eh, it's only so-so. But even the way we're phrasing it right now, everything was leading up to this. That's this is you're the, phrasing it. Oh, okay. Fair enough. It's all uh, To me, it's all a part of the same tapestry. Right. And that's a t- and that's a very TV way of looking at it. I see. From a screenwriting standpoint, no, and one could say a filmmaking standpoint, it is the climax. This is the thing that we're all working towards. But it's rich tapestry. Is I've heard the wire described that way. I've heard Deadwood described that way. I have not. Heard, that's because it's sprawling. You could say that about. I've heard shortcuts. short uh, short. I've heard shortcuts described that um, way, but that's not a standard movie. Like that's not a standard. Uh, but I'm still saying that there's one climax in a mm-hmm. movie, generally, unless we're talking about like Return of the King. <laughs> there's one. <laughs> there's one, there's one climax, um, and so everything that's okay leading up to it is mm-hmm. still a part of it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Angel had 22 climaxes a season. Mm-hmm. It's like the difference between uh, the male and female orgasm. It's is like what you're saying. Movies are like men. Yeah. Yeah. One and done. 
<laughs> and I'm I'm out. Yeah, I gotta wait 15 minutes before I can watch another one. Oh, <laughs> uh, good times, everybody. Um, so yeah, I this, think we've gotten about to the end of this discussion. I think so, and I think it's. I don't think we really resolved anything, but that's Battleship Pretension. Absolutely. We've given you food for thought and then yeah. walked away. We have wasted almost four years of your life. So, um, <laughs> all right. So, well, wait till they say how we're going to end this thing. No question about it. Next week. Okay, so you can find us at battleshippretension.com. You can email me, Tyler, at battleshippretension.com. You can email David at david at battleshippretension.com. You can follow David on Twitter, twitter.com slash thepretension. You can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash morelessons, which is the official Twitter of my podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com. Uh, David, of course, hosts Previously On, which is available. Do you ever say the, the website? Yes, previouslyonshow.com. Previouslyonshow.com. I, I, I co-host it. Oh, that's, come on. <laughs> um, uh, both of these are available in iTunes. Right? Well done. All right. Uh, and then real quick, I did want to uh, mention a little bit of publicity. I forgot last episode. Um, I was recently on a, on a podcast called Irreligiosophy. It is, uh, it is a... Standard uh, spelling on that? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll say it's a skepticality, uh, uh, although I think there's one called skepticality. Ah, shoot. It's a skepticism podcast, right. um, uh, and you can find it in iTunes under Irreligiosophy. I'll let you figure that one out. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I was recently on. It was an inter- it's an inter- interesting episode. Uh, I won't give you the full... Uh, backstory behind it because we discuss it on the show itself but you can Good find call. me there and uh it was it wound up being a, a lot of fun okay so uh thanks for listening don't forget to donate and we'll get you next time bye, bye.